Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning. These are the words of John in the Christian Bible, and some of you may have heard them before. For Hellenistic or Greek Jews and early Christians, this idea of logos was important. Logos, the Word was an idea that went beyond any kind of writing or speech. For some, it was a co-creator with the divine. It was the web that held all the things together. Logos was sort of a bridge between their idea of what God was and the everyday world of the here and now on the earth. So while if you were an early Jew or an early Christian, you could not touch God or talk easily to God, but this logos you could talk to, it was the action of God on the earth. That idea may not resonate much for a lot of us today, but we have something kindred. Words have power. Words create and shape and lead us through our lives. And words can build us up or they can tear us down. You think about that. Somebody says, you are stupid. That hurts. You are ugly. You aren't wanted here. That hurts. On the other hand, you are beautiful, just as you are. You are beloved. You are welcome, welcome here. Words have power. And words can go astray easily. They can be misheard, mistranslated, or simply mistaken. Translations change the meaning. There are hundreds of old sitcoms that relied on the idea of somebody listening at a door and hearing the wrong thing at the wrong time and going off in the wrong direction. When I was growing up, my mother was responsible in our little bitty high Anglican church for unlocking the key to the the cabinet where the communion things were kept. This was an old church, so she alone carried the key. Big old skeleton key. One Sunday, my younger sister and I were being more rotten than usual. And my mom got a little distracted as she hurried us into church. And we were still holding the toys that we had been playing with in the car. 
And we sat down, and my sister Tracy reached around me, and she grabbed Mom's purse to rummage in. For any of you who've ever had small children, you know this pattern. And as the service began, my mother realized that she had forgotten to unlock the cabinet where the communion things were kept. And she looked around for her purse, and she saw it in Tracy's hands. And thinking quickly, she poked me and hissed in my ear, Tell your sister to put the key in the offering plate. Well, I leaned over and I whispered this to Tracy, and Tracy stopped playing with the purse and her toy, and she eyed me because her big sister could not be trusted. And she said, really? And I said, yes. And over here on the other side of Dad, Mom's nodding and pointing. So when the plate was passed, the usher took it from my sister with a strange look. And a few seconds later, the rest of us understood why. Riding amidst the envelopes and the cash was Tracy's toy, a small purple monkey. She had literally and honestly done exactly what she heard, put the monkey in the plate. (laughs) Words have power. And not just the power to get a four-year-old in big, big trouble. Words shape our world, and maybe the most important of those are the ones we consider sacred. Now, the living tradition that we share draws from many, many sources. Several of them are based on powerful written words. We draw on wisdom from the world's religions, on words and deeds of prophetic people, on humanist teachings. And when we begin our free and responsible search for truth and meaning, now those words are all there for us to explore. They give us a starting point. But, and there's always a but in there, our search for truth and meaning is our own. As Unitarian Universalists, you don't get handed some holy text and told, here you go, here's the truth, go home and read it. No minister can tell you what book or lack of book, what person's wisdom is right for you. And only you can decide if the writer of any holy book meant a monkey or a key. You get to decide that. We don't share a creed. We don't share a belief system. You don't even get a fortune cookie that says you are here. We are the people of burning questions. So my question is this, how do we take those powerful written and spoken words and make them our own without mindlessly stealing and appropriating other cultures? Thomas Jefferson, who I don't always enjoy as a person, but who I respect for some of his thought, Thomas Jefferson and the story of his Bible give us some idea about one way to do this. Jefferson's approach to holy words shows the value he placed on personal truth and meaning. So in 1804, Jefferson goes out and he buys Christian Bibles in English and Greek and Latin, which at the time was quite expensive. And he sat down in the freshly expanded White House and he opened those books preparing not to pray or to preach, 
but to cut. He went through the texts looking for the man Jesus's greatest teachings and he sliced out all his favorite portions and he glued them in an empty journal. And when he was done, he had a very short work he called The Philosophy of Jesus. It was never intended to be shared. But in 1819, he sat down again with more Bibles, a knife and scissors, and this time he meant to create his own personal Bible. Starting from scratch, he cut and pasted a book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, which is often referred to now as the Jefferson Bible. And if you're ever in Washington, D.C., go to the Smithsonian. They have the original Bibles that he cut out of. It's brilliant to get to see these. The end product that he created was a re-envisioning of the contents of the Christian Bible. It was a source of rational morality in which Jesus was fully human. He removed every piece of messianic thought, all mysticism, all miracles, all references to the virgin birth, and he changed the Bible from something that claimed to be a revelation of the divine into a collection of moral teachings from a rabbi, a man, Jesus, a man of Nazareth, a radical young teacher devoted to religious reform and human love. You can still get a copy of the Jefferson Bible today. It's worth a read. And the book ends with a line from the Gospel of Matthew. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. In Jefferson's Bible, death is the end. There's no mysticism. It was one man's attempt to clarify for himself the words he held as sacred. Joan Didion, the California-born author of the White Album and a literary journalist, said famously, I don't know what I think until I write it down. I think Jefferson would have loved that thought. The quote from Emerson you heard earlier today is even more specific. Make your own Bible. Select and collect all those words and sentences that in all your reading have been to you like the blast of a trumpet out of Shakespeare and Seneca and Moses and John and Paul. Trust yourself to identify what is sacred. Find what has meaning for you and be fearless in trimming away anything you find offensive or untrue. Words can create, and creation isn't always easy. You know, along with purple monkeys, one thing my parents believed in with all their hearts was Legos. And I can tell you with complete honesty, each of us kids had about a million bazillion of them. And some of them mated each night and produced more. We had red and white and green, and they came in 500-piece boxes, and we had some sort of weird skinny ones that I once used as popsicle sticks. And I took them and I would build castles and roads and dinosaurs. I left them laying on the floor and learned the pain of stepping on them in the dark at three in the morning. But then somebody bought me a Lego kit. And I'm sure some of you have seen these. 
They're very expensive. They're carefully calculated to build something. Mine was a Lego dollhouse with furniture. Came with instructions and a big picture on the box. Showed you exactly what it was supposed to look like. So when you screwed up beyond all belief, you could go back and start over. And I spent a day building it, a few hours reading the instructions, another two days building it correctly. And when I was done, I remember sitting there looking at this thing with absolute dismay. I hated it. All those hours of work, I followed every direction. I built what was someone else's idea, what someone at Lego felt like should be every little girl's dream. I hated that pink color-coordinated little nightmare. (laughs) Can you imagine? So I got out all the rest of the Legos, all million bazillion of them in a million bazillion colors. I borrowed some pieces from my cousin. That means I stole them. I took the front half of my sister's Lego boat. I added a few more stories. I took out the weird, ugly windows in front. I mixed up the colors in the wall, turned the boat into a garage. And when the furniture was too small for this new Franken creation, tossed it back in the box and I built my own out of toilet paper rolls and tape. Took me three weeks. When it was done, it was beautiful to my 10-year-old little heart. It wasn't a Lego dollhouse kit anymore. It was my house. So what I'm saying to you is you get your own Legos, not made of expensive plastic, but Legos of words, of pictures, of the beginnings of thoughts. Be brave. Choose boldly from the colors and shapes around you. The words that call out to you like trumpet blasts, no matter the source. Learn about the sources. Be respectful of the cultures. Find out what works for you, what calls to your soul. From time to time, even feel a bit of pain as you step on a big idea. Words so sharp they make you wince and reconsider. Tear it down as needed. Begin again. Logos or Legos, sacred words, building blocks, the joy and the truth and the journey is making them yours. Happy building. Amen.